If you have a Bible, go ahead and find Luke chapter 2. Today we're going to finish our series on Advent and our Sunday school messages for all of 2020 with a sermon on hope. So we've looked at uh, repentance, we've looked at fulfillment. Last week we talked about joy, and now we end with hope. On Sundays this year, we've studied through the books of Exodus and Galatians. We've done a deep dive into the doctrine of the church, and I know that I have learned a lot. I hope you have too, as you've studied alongside me and listened to my messages. And I pray that that knowledge has produced faith, and that faith has produced a change in character and action, that we, at the end of 2020, by God's grace, are somehow more like Him than we were at the beginning. We want to know God and His revelation so that we might love Him. So we end with hope. So in 2012, uh, the summer of 2012, I decided, well, I decided beforehand, but I decided that in the summer of 2012, I was going to propose to Whitley Moat. So I bought the ring, had this plan in place. We were going to the beach with my family. And we had talked about marriage before. We, you know, I kind of had this idea. You know, she kind of knew to expect something pretty soon. I was, she had just graduated from college. I had one more year of school left. I was working at a church already, and she was working at an apartment complex. We both had jobs. She was finished. She had finished school. I was finishing school. It was kind of in that season of life where you know the next thing you do is get married. And so we decided that we would go to the beach with my family. And I, I had all of this this plan. We were going to go have a, a really really nice dinner and or a really, really nice lunch, uh, rather, and then come back. And uh, I had this, uh, this article that I had found from Desiring God on like questions that couples should ask each other before they get married. I thought, huh, this is a little on the nose, but it'll be good. It'll be good to be thinking about these things, we'll spend some time praying together. It's just going to be really, really sweet. We're on the balcony overlooking the ocean, right? Like super romantic guys, take notes. Um, and all the time, I'm not normally like a nervous person. I'm not really like ever really super emotional. Um, but man, I am feeling everything in my body just kind of tighten up. You know, I feel this, this kind of suspense, right? Like if you're watching a scary movie, like you know something's about to jump out at you. You're not actually sure when or where, but like you know it's coming, right? In the same way, like I know eventually I'm going to get to the end of this questionnaire and I'm going to spend time praying with my now girlfriend, hopefully in the next couple of minutes, fiance, and I'm going to propose to her. So I was confident that she was going to say yes. I mean, like I would have been, I would have fallen off the balcony if she said no. I knew that she was going to say yes. I knew that she wanted to marry me. I knew that I wanted to marry her. I was completely confident of what was going to happen in the next 10 minutes, but I was still incredibly nervous. All my actions in dating had led up to this point. It was going to change my life, and it had already changed my actions, my thoughts, my prayers. So what did I do? I prayed with her. I was behind her, praying over her, asking the Lord to bless her. As I did, I got down on one knee. She didn't know what was happening. She thought I just like sat down and I got tired or something. And then she turned around because she realized that I was down on one knee. And then she freaked out because she didn't know if I was, she was supposed to know that yet. So she turned back around and she had already started crying at this point. And I was trying to get through the prayer. Oh, it was just, it was wonderful. Meanwhile, my whole family's like looking through the glass, like. And then I asked the question and she said, yes. 
my hope did not disappoint me. It was not a shot in the dark. It wasn't flimsy. It wasn't, uh, ha- it wasn't haphazard. It wasn't this huge, huge risk that I'm really just kind of throwing everything in the air and thinking that everything will work out. No, my hope was an eager and confident expectation of the future. It was a confidence in what was to come. And this hope in knowing whether or not my girlfriend is going to say yes to my proposal is just a small snapshot, a small shadow of the kind of hope that we might have in God. Our hope in God is this eager expectation of a future that He has promised us. And it's tightly connected to our faith. So if I believe in something, and it promises to do something for me or to be something in the future, then I hope for its promised outcome. This is how faith and hope are connected. If I believe in it, if I trust it, and it tells me that it's going to do something, it tells me that something's going to happen, it tells me that something's coming, and I trust it, I'm putting my hope in it. I orient my actions, my thoughts, my life around that expectation because it's what I want, it's what I desire. So why end 2020 with hope? Why will we talk about hope this morning? Because 2020 has been a year, hasn't it? I mean, like it is, it's been a a whole year. (laughs) And so I think we want to end, I, I want us to end with hope because where we are right now is really just more aware of where we have always been which is in between Jesus' first and second coming, between the already and the not yet. One writer says it like this, hope is the right response of the Christian whose life and surroundings seem to contradict the promises of God. In other words, often we as Christians, we will hope in spite of our current circumstances, not because of them. So we'll look around at the world, we'll look around at the things that are going on in our lives, and we'll we'll wonder, how is it that God's promises will be fulfilled in this mess? Because all of this does not look like what He has said will happen. So this morning, I want us to look at what Scripture shows us about hope for the believer. We'll start in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Quick context, Jesus has just been born. The shepherds have just seen the the baby Jesus. At the end of eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus. We pick up in verse 22 of Luke chapter 2. And When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that is Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Let's pray before we go any further. God in heaven, you are the God of hope. And when we put our hope in you, we will not be put to shame. We'll not be disappointed. We'll not be let down because God, you have never failed. You have never gone against your word. Your word is trustworthy and true. And Lord, we know that word. The word made flesh who dwelled among his people, the Lord Jesus. We have faith in him and he now gives us his own spirit who dwells within us and promises us a future where you reconcile all things. You make all things right, all things new. You remove the the stain of sin from creation. You remove the, the pangs of death from this world. The Lord, that day has not yet come. So Father, I pray as we read and study and think about the idea of hope that you might help us to put our hope in the right thing, or rather the right one, that we would put our hope in you and know that we will not be disappointed. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, here's my plan. I'm just going to tell you the whole thing and maybe a sentence or two. I aim to argue from the lesser to the greater. So if this thing is true, then this thing is even more wonderful. So two points this morning. First point is this. Simeon's hope in God did not disappoint him. Simeon's hope in God did not disappoint him. Here in Luke chapter 2, we meet a man named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was a Jew. He was a part of the people of Israel. He knew the Scriptures. He'd heard the stories of God's faithfulness. His hope was in the promised Messiah. Just as a a quick synopsis, remember, it had been 400 years since Malachi. 400 years since the last of the prophets spoke the Word of God to the people. For 400 years there had been silence from God. And all they had to go on was his past faithfulness and his promises for the future. So Simeon, his whole life, he was an old man. His whole life, he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he has been hoping in God. He has put his hope in God to fulfill the promises that he had made to his people Israel. I mean, think about the Old Testament. Over and over again, a mark of faith in God is a commitment to just wait upon the Lord. You think about the idea of hope, it looks a lot like waiting. And not a passive, I don't care, nonchalant, well, whenever this thing happens, it'll be fine. But an eager, expectant waiting. It's like like Christmas Eve when you're a kid, right? Like, you know what's coming. And your mom and dad are telling you, like, you have to go to bed. You have to go to bed. And you're like, but I don't want to go to bed. 
because I know what's happening. In just a couple of hours, there's going to be presents under that tree, and there's going to be all of this celebration and all of this joy, and I'm going to get all of these wonderful treasures and presents. I want that. I want what's in the future to happen right now, and I just can't even, I can't even wait to get to that point. So I'm just, I'm just looking. I'm just waiting. That's what Simeon has been doing. And that's what faithful followers of God in the Old Testament did. Think about Abraham waiting for Sarah to bear him a son that he would call Isaac, a child of promise. Think about Joseph being imprisoned falsely, sold into slavery in Egypt, waiting for God to vindicate him. Think about the Israelites right before the Exodus calling out and crying out for God's justice to be delivered to them in the midst of their oppression and slavery. Think about David on the run from Saul as he's being put to, he's, the, the king of Israel is trying to kill him, the one whom he had loved, and waiting for God to show his righteousness to Israel. Think about the whole nation of Israel under Babylon in the exile, waiting to return to their promised land. The scriptures are full of waiting. They are full of suspense. They're full of tension. One of the Hebrew words for hope actually comes from a word that also means cord or rope. And when you would stretch out that cord or that rope, you'd put tension in it, you would cause it to hope. That's what Israel has felt their whole history. That's what the people of God have felt their whole history. They're waiting for that tension to be released. They are full of hope. And time after time after time, God did not fail them. Simeon was waiting to see the Christ and God would not fail him either. We read here in verse 25 that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Now, in the Old Covenant era, before Pentecost, before the age of the church, before our time, the Spirit of God rested on people not in them. This is pretty important. So you read about the old, read about the, read in the Old Testament, and over and over again, you'll see the Spirit will rest on a person or come onto a person or descend onto a person. And sometimes, like in the case of Saul, the Spirit would depart that person. Simeon had the Spirit upon him. But something greater would come. In the New Covenant, Because of Jesus, the Spirit would no longer rest on us, but in us. Something that seems to be temporary would be permanent. Still, for Simeon, the Spirit is the the genesis. It's the source of his hope in God. Look, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. For Simeon, The Spirit is the source of his hope in God. Now, apart from God, you and I will put our hope in all sorts of things that will disappoint us, that will fail us. We'll put our hope in our own power or circumstances. We think, if I can just achieve this, or if I can just do this, then I will secure this future that I've dreamed of, whether it's owning a home or having a beautiful family or getting that degree or getting that awesome job or making that team, whatever it is, we put our hope in our own strength. Sometimes we will succeed, but eventually we will fall short. Or maybe we put our hope in someone who seems to have influence. Maybe we put our hope in a a political leader or a, a spiritual leader or a local leader. We think that if we could just tie ourselves to a a person of influence, a person of power, then our hopes will be fulfilled. 
But if we put our hope in a sinner, then eventually we will be let down. Maybe we put our hope in our possessions or our work or our friendships. We think that these things will be how we get to better days. The story of Simeon tells us that we need God to even direct our hopes to him. Because left to ourselves and our flesh, we will put our hopes in all of the wrong things. Now notice, it says in verse 27, that Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon saw the baby Jesus and knew. You think like Mary and Joseph aren't like walking into the temple going like, Messiah, right here, like here's the Christ. No, they're going in like any other Jewish family with a firstborn son to offer their sacrifices before the Lord as the law required them. They probably weren't the only family there. They definitely weren't the only ones there offering sacrifices. And yet Simeon, someone who has been waiting his whole life, led by the Spirit to go to the temple that day and notices Mary and Joseph and a little baby, and he knows. Here he is. What everyone else in the room does not see, I see. What what everyone else is not able to notice, I notice. Simeon's Spirit-empowered hope in God allows him to notice the works of God and frees him up to bless God even when others don't see what's happening. So this leads Simeon to worship. Simeon's worship of God was founded upon the hope that has now been fulfilled in Jesus. So Simeon had Scripture that told him about God's past faithfulness and the Holy Spirit residing on him. God's Word and God's Spirit produced hope in God for Simeon. We see that as the the baby Jesus comes. Simeon takes him up in his arms, blesses God, and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your Word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon is saying, what I see before me right now is the fulfillment of my hope. Not just so that I might know that I will be right with God because here the Messiah is, but that all peoples, all the Gentiles, they will receive him as a light of revelation. The good news of Simeon's blessing was that the Gentiles would then enter into worship of God just like Simeon through the light of revelation that would come from this baby boy. That's us. We're the Gentile. Like we're the nations that now sees Jesus for who he is. Simeon had hope that we would know God. And he was not disappointed. I mean, think like your Faith in Jesus is the fulfillment of Simeon's hope because God made a promise and kept it. Advent shows us that this hope is about to intensify. Christ has come. And for us, awaiting Christ's second advent, his second coming, we are in a much better position than even Simeon. 
Like we're in a much better position to hope in God than Simeon. So our second point is this. If Simeon's hope in God did not disappoint him, then number two, our hope in God will not disappoint us. Our hope in God will not disappoint us. Because the Son of God took on humanity and dwelled among us, and because of His death and resurrection, we can now be filled with gospel hope. So it should be on the screen, but find Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. In one of the mountaintops of all of Scripture, Paul has been preaching the gospel to the the Roman church. He's been giving this wonderfully elegant theological description of salvation and the role of Christ as the, the, the second Adam that God has come, that now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that all you need to do to be saved is to call upon the name of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then in the last couple of chapters of Romans, he gives this very practical exposition of what ought we to do. Now that we know all of these things, now that we know the indicatives of the gospel, what the gospel means, what are the imperatives of the gospel? What must we do? now that we believe in Christ. That brings us to Romans 15. Knowing God's story and the story of Scripture helps us to situate our own stories. If you think that all that's going on in the world is the thing that's going on in your world, then you have a radically out-of-whack view of history. You have a radically out-of-whack view of what God is doing. But if you start with God and start with God's story and what He's unfolding throughout the years and years of history, coming from creation all the way to Christ's return, then you are better able to situate yourself, to know where you are. The fact is, none of us would have written 2020 the way it has planned out. Like None of us would have sat down January 1 and said, you know what I want for my life this year? All this. None of us would have written this story. None of us would have put this down, but this is what God has had in his book since before the foundations of the world. And God is doing something. His promises have not faltered, even though the world around us seems to be full of chaos. I mean, just in our own context, there is deep political turmoil. There is a global pandemic. There is increasing distrust of one another disagreements over a variety of things are interpreted by others as hatred towards them rather than a disagreement of ideas. There is persecution, religious persecution, racial persecution, socioeconomic persecution. There are deadly hurricanes and natural disasters. There's family tensions on and on we could go. And as Christians, we're supposed to navigate all of this choppy water all the time. Well, that seems like an impossible task. It doesn't seem like God's promise of righteousness, justice, an end to sin, eternal life, no more death, no more pain. It doesn't seem like any of, the, of those things are anywhere in sight. So listen to what one writer said who was describing Christian hope. They said the reality of Christian hope is based on two things. The reality of God's victory over evil in the death and resurrection of Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hope is the source 
of present strength for believers because it is grounded in what God has done in Christ is experienced in the power of the Spirit and moves towards the glory that is to be revealed. What is missing in this definition and description of hope? Our current circumstances. Our current circumstances bear no weight to the Christian hope because the Christian hope is not built on the ever-changing dynamics of our current circumstances, but on the finished work of our unchanging God. In other words, our hope in God is even more secure than Simeon's in Luke chapter 2. Why? Because not only do we have the stories from God's Word about past faithfulness, we have the story about the Word of God made flesh and His faithful life, His death on the cross, and His resurrection from the grave on our behalf. And not only does God's Spirit rest on us, but now He dwells within us and illuminates our eyes to see God's work around us when nobody else notices. So what will sustain you this holiday season and into the next year with all of life's ups and downs? And the next year, and the next year, and the next year, hope in God will sustain you. So let's read Romans 15, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Students, our task as the people of God is right here. To bear one another's burdens, to build each other up, realizing that God's Word points all of us to hope in Him. That we're to live in harmony with one another, glorifying God. Like This is the life of the people of God, that we are to constantly, by our prayers, by our encouragements, by our honoring of one another, by our actions towards one another, by our grace and mercy that we give to one another, we are to live as though that future that we all hope for is actually coming. That this isn't all that there is. That I don't have to get my comeuppance, or I don't have to get revenge, or I don't have to exact whatever it is that someone has done to me, back to them as though that future reality is not coming and I have to get these things done today. No, we live with one another. We love one another. We bear one another's burdens. We come alongside one another to constantly remind one another, this is as far away from heaven as we'll ever be. Heaven is coming. This is as bad as it gets for us. This is as bad as it gets. It will not get worse. That God is with us. He's reminding us of what is to come. His promises will come to pass. And this life as the people of God is the fulfillment 
of the hopes of many before us. Remember, the fact that we have faith in God is a fulfillment of Simeon's hope. But let's keep reading in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles have hope. Paul is quoting from 2 Samuel, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, and Isaiah. He's covering all of the Old Testament to say, this is is what the people of God have hoped for. And God is fulfilling His promises in you and in me. The fact that we worship the God of heaven is a fulfillment of their hope in God. So when we live in hope, we are revealing to the world that God is worth trusting. When we live in hope, we are revealing to the world that He is worth believing. That He actually can handle your hopes. He can handle your life. And He will not disappoint. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This life is not all that there is. As I said before, our constantly changing circumstances are not the directors of our hope because our hope is in the unchanging nature of God. So may the God of hope fill us. The God of hope. The one for whom, uh, the one through whom all hope comes. And he fills us with what? Joy and peace in Believing. We talked about joy last week, that our desire would be to delight in Him and peace in believing, that we would have this settled faith. Why? So that by the power of the Spirit, we may abound in hope, just like Simeon. The Spirit would stir up in us hope in God, that we would have joy that we would delight, that we would love God, that we would have our faith secure in Him and abound in hope. Students, Christ has come. This Advent season, we remember that the Word made flesh, dwelled among His people. The Son, the eternal Son, entered into human history, took on a human nature. And now His Spirit is with us. And He is coming again to fulfill all God's promises. No one who has put their hope in God has been disappointed by Him. And if you put your hope in Him, you will not be disappointed either. So as we go into the end of the year, the beginning of a new year, instead of our circumstances, instead of our influence, instead of our possessions, instead of power, instead of pleasure, instead of all of the other things that our flesh might try to gravitate towards, let's commit to one another 
that we might put our hope in God. We might remind each other of that hope when life gets hard. We might remind each other of that hope when life is wonderful. As we see the picture unfold more and more each day that Christ's promises are being fulfilled. That's why we end with hope. Because right now we feel that tension. We feel that kind of nervousness. And yet we're confident that He is coming soon. Let me pray for us. God, we do not see what you see. We don't have the full picture. We don't have your perspective. All we see is what's right in front of us. And if we're honest, Lord, what's right in front of us right now is often very bleak. It's very hard. It's often bitter. It's frustrating. It's confusing. It's chaotic. Like the sea seems untamable, constantly changing, full of fear and wrath and power. And Lord, you promise us that in this life we will have trouble. If they crucified you and persecuted you, they will persecute us. And Lord, we live in a, in a world that is broken by sin. So Father, Father, we admit and confess, God, we don't know what to do. Day in and day out, we do not have the answers for what's to come, but we know who does. And instead of putting our hope in the circumstances that we cannot change, cannot control, God, help us to put our hope in you, the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who promises that one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth and the sea will be no more. All of the terror and fear and unholy power that this world still clings to will be done away with once and for all. So God, we thank you that you sent your son to come to this earth to be the fulfillment of all of your promises. You allowed Simeon to see his hopes come to fulfillment. And we might catch a glimpse of that kind of confidence, that tension, that suspense, that hope that Simeon had in you. By the power of your spirit, Lord, would you fill us with that kind of hope, that we might abound in hope with joy and peace in believing, and that hope would lead us to live the kind of life that the world has to notice so that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. God, help us to let our light shine before men. Help us to hope in you when it's hard. Help us to come alongside one another when it's difficult for all of us to hope in you. When things seem dark and grim, remind us of the hope that's coming. As your word says, that there may be sorrow in the night, but joy comes in the morning. So after darkness, light will come. And the good news of Advent is that the light of the world has come and he is coming again. God, thank you. Thank you for the gospel that fills us with this unshakable hope. We ask that you would transform us even now more and more into the image of Jesus for your glory, for our good. We ask this in his name. Amen.